Now our scripture text is in 1 Samuel 24, verses 8 through 22. So, and I'm going to be reading that. Y'all know I'm reading from the, uh, new, I mean, the New American Standard 95. So it does have a few differences. Verses 8 through 22. Now afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No. And perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you. Though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says. Out of the wicked comes forth wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dwelt, have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. The word of the Lord. Now, what is the first thing that you think of when you hear the word conscience? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word conscience? The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of conscience is almost like a pointer that points to the right or points to what is wrong. Every time you hear the word conscience, you should be thinking right or wrong. Uh, Romans 2 14 and 15 tells us from the creation of Adam, God has written on every human soul his moral law. In other words, even though we have, even without the Ten Commandments, each one of us has a conscience. 
And in this conscience that God has written His laws on our heart. And so there's a finger in our heart, and it alternately points to the right or points to the wrong in regard to our thoughts and our words and our deeds. There's a finger inside of us alternately accusing us or excusing us. If we do, if we think according to things that are right and good, that finger does not accuse us, but excuses us. It gives us feelings of innocence and peace and openness. But if we think things that are sinful and we say things that are wrong and we think and we do things that are wrong, our conscience will bring feelings of shame and fear and guilt. Conscience is something that is built into every human soul. And even though man has fallen in the state of sin, conscience, yes, it has been terribly marred by the fall. It does not function as it did before the fall, but it still functions. It's still there. I don't know if any of you have read The Holy War by John Bunyan, but John Bunyan talks about uh, the fall of, of man into sin. And he talks about Adam being deceived by Satan. And he calls Adam man's soul. And when the devil deceived man's soul and man's soul fell into sin, what the devil does is he doesn't stop working at that point. He brings him into the fall and the devil goes ahead and what he wants to do is he takes Mr. Recorder, which is man's conscience. And Mr. Recorder, man's conscience, he wants to replace Mr. Recorder with Mr. Forget Good. So conscience is going to be replaced by Mr. Forget Good. What he's going to do is take conscience, or Mr. Recorder, he's going to put him to sleep. He's going to depose him, drug him, and put him in another room, and put him in the bed, and put him to sleep, hopefully never to wake up ever again. That's the goal the devil has for Mr. Recorder, or conscience. <laughs> but here's the problem. No matter how drugged, no matter how asleep, no matter how many IV sleep medications are going into his arm, Every now and then, Mr. Conscience will scream so loud and so hideously that the man himself is alarmed and he says that even the devil is trembling when this conscience goes off like an alarm. And tonight, what I want to focus on as we look at 1 Samuel 24, I want us to look at two consciences. We have a tender conscience. We have a hardened conscience. David has a tender conscience. David's conscience has been honed by the Word of God. We're going to see that David's conscience has been honed by prayer and worship. And we're going to take a look at a hardened conscience. Saul has a hardened conscience. Saul is the one who's taken his conscience, put it in a room, closed the door, and made it go to sleep, hopefully never to be heard from again. But tonight in our passage, we're going to see that his conscience awakes, wakes up and screams like bloody murder at him. He tried to replace Mr. Forget Good, in the, um, put Mr. Forget Good in the place of Mr. Recorder, but he didn't quite get it done. And so tonight, let's look at these two consciences and let's ask ourselves, do I have a tender conscience or do I have a hardened conscience? First, a tender conscience. A tender conscience is contrite. The word contrite or contrition means to be sorry, means to be sad over doing something that is wrong. And David has kept uh, his heart tender before God. Remember last week we said that God has brought resources to David, a priest and a prophet, and the Word of God is very close to David. We've also seen that David's in the cave living the life of a 
caveman, if you will, with his men, and they pray. This is a strange person, David. This is a, a guy who's walking close to the Word of God and praying in a cave. And then of all things, David's own enemy comes into the cave. Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. And then they have an opportunity to creep up on him and kill him. And David, instead of killing him, cuts off just a piece of his garment, just the edge of his garment. And David's conscience begins to strike him. It comes alive. In verse 5 of our text here, in 1 Samuel 24, 5, it says, It came about afterwards that David's conscience, it says in the New American Standard, bothered him. In other uh, translations, it says, struck him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. The word bothered here is kind of benign. It really means to be smitten with rods. Tormented, pricked, goaded. It's like the sun beating down on him, except now it's not the sun, it's his conscience is beating down on him. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about Saul of Tarsus and his being pricked. He's being pricked, he's cut to the quick. And, you know, I won't get into the gory details, but, you know, we all know what it feels like for a nail to be coming apart from the nail bed. This is what's happening inside of him and it's it's a holy contrition he's sorrowing not because he got caught he's sorrowing it's not forced he's sorry because he's touched god's anointed king and he knows that that is touching the lord himself and so he's sorry over it and he's smitten over this he has a tender conscience he has a contrite conscience not only is he contrite and sad But he confesses sin. He confesses sin. What's the word confess means? It means to agree with God against ourselves that we have done exactly what God says. To agree with God. And he confesses his sins quickly. Mr. Recorder is doing his job. All of a sudden he has touched the king. He knows he's not supposed to touch the king. Verse 6. So he said to his men, far be it from me because uh, because of the Lord that I should do this thing. To my Lord. He doesn't cover his sin up. He doesn't try to blame his sin on somebody else. He doesn't portray himself as a, as a person. You know, sometimes sometimes Christian leaders feel like they need to cover sin up or, or act like they're perfect and not even talk about it because they want to present this idea that, that we don't sin. But a real Christian leader confesses their sin. Immediately. And he tells his men, I've erred. I've erred. I've sinned. The Lord forbids me to touch my master. One commentator said this, David put a noose around his neck, walked around and said, I'm guilty. That's a good way to think about it. I'm guilty. Don't think that what I have just done, men, don't think at, at, at all that God was for this. Now his friends are for it. All the men are for it. But he's saying, God's not for this. He confesses his sins quickly and he confesses, listen, listen very carefully. He confesses sin that others overlook. He's not callous. He's not hardened. He doesn't have scar tissue. He's a tender heart. He even calls things sin that others wouldn't even think about calling sin. He feels guilty and at fault for things that others would dismiss. 
All the men in David's band are ready to kill Saul. They're saying, do it. They're beating him with their words. Do it. Can you see them? Do it. And his conscience is over here going, don't do it. Over. Do not do it. In fact, he's embarrassed over this. We say, well, what is a piece of the king's robe? It's just a piece of, piece of the king's robe. But it demeaned the Lord's anointed. He had treated what God calls holy in an unholy manner. That's not insignificant. But David saw that. That is, he saw how significant it was not to touch this one God had placed in power. He was careful, willing not to overlook something even this small. Not only is the tender conscience contrite in confessing sin, but it converts. Tender conscience is contrite, confesses sins, and it converts. The word convert means to change direction, to turn around. And here David stops after cutting off that piece of that garment, and then he has a war on his hand. You know, I thought about this this afternoon while I was meditating on this, and I was thinking, you know, we talk about repenting. This is some serious repenting. He has to go out and stop a whole group of guys that want to put this man to death. That's, he, he really meant business when it came to repentance. He changed the course of all 600 men. That's some serious changing of course. And then finally, a tender conscience is confident in God's justice. This really helps me about the stuff that we're hearing about in the past few days. God's going to do. God's going to make all things right. And rather than take justice into his own hands, David changes the direction. He's confident that God will do what is right. In verses 8 through 15, he continually declares his innocence to, to King Saul. Verse 12, May the Lord judge between you and me, Saul, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. In all of this, David is not saying that we cannot fight for our nation. In all of this, David is not saying we cannot be policemen and fight against crime. And he's certainly not saying that we can be a pass that it's okay to, you know, that pacifism is the way to go. If you look at David, you understand that David is anything but a, a pacifist. I love one of the books I've read. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but I can remember the title of the book in preparing for these sermons. And it's called David, Man of War, Man of Prayer. And that is David. Man of War. Think about what he's done. He's taken a smooth stone and knocked a guy's head down, a head off almost. He goes and gets his sword and cuts his head off. He has killed many, many Philistines. He's a terror to the enemies. And at the same time, he's a man of prayer. It's a weird guy. Think about this. Here's a guy who goes out. He's a, he's a terrible, terrible person to face on the battlefield. But what's he doing when he's back home in the fire? He's praying. He's leading these guys to, to listen to men talk about the Word of God. That's just a weird person. But what David's teaching us here to do is to not take justice in our own hands in regard to our personal enemies. My hand, Saul, shall not be against you. What a commentary this is on personal enemies. How are we to treat our own personal enemies 
people who set themselves against us and people who say things against us, how are we to respond to this? Well, the greater than David tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, Jesus said, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Father loved His enemies. Did the Father not love you when you were one of His enemies? Go read Romans 5. Sinners, ungodly, enemies. God demonstrates His love to those kind of people. God sends a son to pray for you. God sends a son to go to the cross and die for you. Will you not love your enemies and pray for them? And will you not be like your Father who is in heaven? Paul writes in Romans 12, 19 through 21, he says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What kind of conscience do you have? Is your conscience sorry over sin? Do you read your Bible and do you find at times while you're reading your Bible, your cheeks get red and you get flushed and you realize you've sinned and you maybe cry tears that nobody knows? Are you keeping your conscience honed in the Word? Are you keeping your conscience honed as you hear the Word read and preached? Are you being with God's people and fellowshipping with them? One of the best things you can do is talk to these folks in these Bible studies in order to be tenderized as you're around people who have issues and problems and you're able to help them and they help you. David had a conscience that was touch-sensitive to sin. He didn't try to put himself out in front of other people as a perfect person, but he was willing to confess his sins quickly and even call things that other people wouldn't call sin, sin. He didn't try to justify himself. Do you have attitudes that God will not permit? Are there words God will not allow you to say? Are there actions God will not allow you to do? And if you think them and say them and do them, Do you find yourself having to confess that you sinned? Don't cover things up. Don't think that Christianity is about making sure everybody thinks we're perfect. Make sure that if you sin, you confess your sins. Now, there's times where we need to be careful about who we confess our sins to. But if we've sinned against a wife, if we sinned against one of our children, we know what to do, don't we? I have sinned. I have done what is wrong. Jesus has taught us to pray, forgive us of our debts, as we read, as we prayed a few minutes ago. To confess our sins constantly. We we pray, even tonight, we pray for health. Constantly. We pray for jobs for people. I, I've been praying for the guy across the street for, 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 I think, six weeks. And he got a job. We pray for our spouses constantly. Jesus tells us to confess our sins constantly. He doesn't want us to confess our sins from month to month in some fit of confession, but to regularly confess our sins to God. Are we changing our behavior? 
Today we live in a world that is calloused and speaks very reprehensibly, reprehensibly about authorities. David was sorry for cutting the edge of the king's garment off and he stopped. And today I think we need to be so careful. The media is hardened. The media is hardened. What do I mean by that? They will say anything about anybody, especially authorities. Can we say anything about anybody even? We're not to say just anything about anybody. Has God taught you? Has God taught me? Is He not allowing us to vilify those in authority? Demonize those in authority. Jesus does not mind if you disagree with an authority. Jesus does not mind if you disagree with their politics. Jesus does not mind if you disagree with their views. Jesus does not mind if you disagree with me on some small theological point. But what he does mind is if we vilify one another. He does mind if we call somebody empty-headed fool, Matthew chapter 5. He does mind if we murder other people's reputations and slander their intellects with our tongues. You remember that song? I think there's a Steve Green uh, video. And it goes like this. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue. And you sing this song. And then the next time you sing it, you sing it like this. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue. You remember that? I remember that. We need to keep our tongues from vilifying authorities. I am just like you. There's not a single authority that I'm going to agree with that's for abortion. But we still need to speak about them in careful ways and pray for them. We live in the United States of America. We have the freedom of speech. We have the law of the land that protects us so that we can say things that are wrong. We're protected so that we can say things that are sinful. But remember... We can say things that are sinful that God says, the law of God says we are not to say. So a tender conscience. This is a tender conscience. Now let's look at a hardened conscience. Not very much here. A hardened conscience is calloused. A hardened conscience is Saul's conscience. I remember when I was going to a conference. I was 22 years old. I got in the car and we're on our way to this conference. Went picked this guy up. And, um, and I opened the door and I shook his hand and introduced myself to him. And I was so proud of my hands. They were tough. I was re- very into being having tough hands from lifting weights and having calluses and all of that. And I thought I had some tough hands. I put my hands in this guy's hand. <laughs> I, man, that guy's hands were so callous. He, he'd been a gardener all his life. I felt like I was ashamed. Saul's conscience was hard like that man's hands. Saul has been in pursuit of David, not for a day. David, David, in a moment, he's tempted to take a man's life. Spare the moment. Saul, what's he been doing? He's been going after David for years by now. This is a choice. Repeated choice. Hardening the conscience. Choosing sin, not God's word. Choosing sin, not prayer. Choosing uh, not worship, but choosing to go after David. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says this, I believe Saul has set his heart fully to do evil. 
And then, of all things, (laughs) David confronts him. David confronts Saul with his sin. It's absolutely amazing what happens here. David bows low to the ground and he says he calls himself before Saul a dead dog and a flea. He tells Saul that everybody who's counseling him, that he is after him to kill him, that they are wrong. Then he pulls out a piece of fabric and he shows him the evidence that they who are telling him he's out to kill him, that they are wrong. Here's the evidence. I could have killed you and I did not. I spared your life. And then he says, I'm going to call God to judge between you and me. And instantly... This hardened conscience, this conscience is in another room, this conscience is on sleep medications, this conscience comes out and begins to roar out loud. Here's a man who's unaccustomed to contrition and he is sorry. Here's a man who's unaccustomed to confessing and he is confessing. Here's a man who's unaccustomed to changing his direction and he's changing his direction. Important word. Temporarily. A hardened conscience is contrite. Temporarily. Every bit of evidence is in front of him. And verse 16 says, He lifted up his voice and he wept in front of all 3,000 of his own men. He lifted up his voice and wept in front of all of David's men. The jig is up. He was caught red-handed. He's wrong. He's sorry. For a moment. He's been found out. He's sorry before David. He's not sorry before God. A hardened conscience confesses sin temporarily. Saul's confession was forced. He had to admit that he was wrong. The evidence is there in front of him. All of the men saw it. Here's the evidence. Here's the piece of fabric. And he starts confessing. You're more righteous than I am. You've treated me well, but I have treated you badly. He confesses that David will be king. Saul even pleads with the flea (laughs) not to kill his family when he becomes the king. Of course, he's already made an oath. He's already taken a vow with Jonathan that he won't do that already. He's already done that. He confesses that he sinned against David. But this sure doesn't come close to Psalm 51, does it? Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil. Against you, O Lord? This is not that. A hardened conscience converts temporarily. Look at verse 22. And Saul went to his home, but David went. David and his men went to the stronghold. What's the king doing? His conscience is roaring. And it's just like a thunderbolt through the night sky. He's awakened And it's screaming at him. And he's sorry. He's confessing. He's changing his direction. And he goes home temporarily. Because you see, Saul knew that when he went home, he had a skill. He had, we talked about this last Sunday morning. We talked about the skill of of learning contentment, of training the soul. Well, Saul has learned a skill going back home and he's learned the skill of putting his conscience back to sleep. If I can use some nursing terms, 
they go and they get the bag. And they put the bag and they do the IV. They put the sleep meds in the IV. And he knows how to put his conscience back in a room, close the door and put his conscience back to sleep so that he can live another day to pursue David and seek to kill him. What kind of conscience do you have? you have a tender conscience or do you have a hardened conscience? Your conscience, as much as we try to keep it put to sleep, it will rise up again. Sometimes our conscience, it brings to our mind past sins. Do you remember when Joseph's brothers came before him, they didn't know it was Joseph? Remember what happened? They started saying to themselves, we shouldn't have done this to our brother back those days. Sometimes our conscience roars against us when we've committed a sin and nobody sees it. Sometimes it roars against us in a worship service. I, I think this is worth thinking about just for a moment. You know, Ben, when in our, in, our, in our hymn sings, Ben has kind of pushed on us this idea that, you know, when we, we read the Word together, we're, we're talking together, we're breathing together, we are singing together, uh, we are doing these things together, and it enhances our singing when we think about, I'm with you, you're with me. And so a lot of things are enhanced compared to what we do when we're in our private bedroom or room by ourselves when we're praying and reading and all of that. Well, think about the fact that your conscience in the midst of all of God's people, God uses that to heighten what our conscience does to us in the presence of His Word. Our conscience can cry against us about guilt before the God of the universe. And our conscience that we every one of us has and we cannot get rid of. Our conscience is so sufficient to do certain things. It shows us our sin. It shows us that we're guilty before a holy God. And it shows us that we deserve to be judged on the last day. And if we're not found saved in someone before that day, that conscience of ours will scream against us for all eternity. The roaring conscience, instead of being your enemy tonight, it should become your friend. It should cause you to seek relief from the God who made you. And the only way we can be relieved of this guilty conscience is to look to the God who made us, who speaks to us in this Word and shows us Jesus Christ who came to die on a cross so that our guilt can be forgiven. Our conscience can be taken care of. The hostility can be removed through the blood of Jesus and bring us peace and give to us a tender conscience. Jesus is the one who can give us this tender conscience. Thank God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We thank you for each one here. Thank you for those on Zoom. We pray, Lord, that you will use these words in our hearts. Help us to be those who are tender in our consciences. Keep us contrite. Help us confess sins quickly. Lord, help us not to help us to be tender and sensitive about things that maybe many people wouldn't even give a care about. Lord, help us to change directions quickly with your with your strength and by your grace. Lord, we pray that we might trust you to do what is just and what is right and not for us to take vengeance uh, and revenge on anybody who might be doing us wrong. Lord, take us from this place tonight. Help us be ready to worship you all through the week in our lives. Help us to, to pray, read our Bibles, to stay, keep our consciences honed 
in worship, personal worship, family worship. Help us as we sing and as we go through our weeks. Help us to walk with you every day. Help us prepare again to come and do this together. And we'll praise you for it. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.